0: Hey, it's episode six of The Design of Experience. Today, we're going to talk about Redemption Burritos, the woke-washing epidemic, and the striking similarities between guts and guac. How has authenticity become commercialized? What can seeing into a restaurant's kitchen teach us about running a business? Today, we get transparent about transparency. Stick around.
1: Hey guys, welcome to The Design of Experience, conversations about the ideas that make us feel a tribal devotion to the things we love. Glad to have everybody back. Steve, you are here. Yes,
0: I am. I am here. 100% here. Present.
1: And today, we are going to be talking about transparency. Um, I want to make a little disclaimer and jump right in before people think they know exactly what we're going to be talking about. When I say transparency, we're not going to be talking about things like an earnings statement or a philanthropy report. Those things are all table stakes for every business at this point. What we're going to be talking about today are the experiences you have with a brand or a company on a daily basis that genuinely increases your confidence and trust in them because there is some element. Of transparency. So we're gonna dig into that today, but before we get started, um, you want to tell us who else is here with us?
0: We got a little buddy back with us. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Matt DeVille, our VP of digital, is back. People like me. People (laughs) like you. And so we decided maybe we would let him be a friend. Leave the kids table.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I, I, you know, I'm so happy to be at the big table.
1: We're glad that you're here. Um, A couple of weeks ago,
2: I
0: dropped a seriously awesome quote just came out of my head. Mm. Uh, I talked about us living in the age of the commercialization and commoditization of authenticity. And not long after that, we kept running into resources, which talked about this idea of transparency and authenticity in Mm -hmm. brands not to be confused with transparency.
1: Southwest, what up?
0: Ooh, making my point big time (laughs) with a household brand, what?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and actually, yes, uh, Steve said that last time and it was fun and it made us think a lot. And, um, but before that, I wanna share the inspiration that made me rally to have this as um, a topic on the podcast. So a few months ago, uh, my husband and I were at a bed and breakfast. I'm going to give them a shout out. It's the Orchard House Bed and Breakfast in Virginia because they are awesome. They know how to create an experience. I was sitting at breakfast with my husband in this beautiful dining room and I noticed that the doors to the kitchen were two French doors and one of them was slightly open and you could kind of see through into this kitchen. Um, and I talked to the owners afterwards, Mike and Deb, and I said hey, did you guys intentionally choose to have these French doors to separate the dining room from the kitchen? Because I really feel like I'm part of your process this way. I feel like I can kind of see into your kitchen, but not all the way. And as a guest, it made me feel really comfortable and like I was at home. And, you know, they realized, you know, we didn't do it intentionally, but we didn't want like what was there before when we bought it. Um, so I kind of started telling them more and more about how, the psychology of being able to see into the kitchen and what that does for a guest. And we had a really fun time talking about it because it was a simple choice for them. They liked the way it looked, but they were really glad to hear the overflowing amount of trust and um, kind of equity it gave to the guests. And they didn't even think about that. So... I just thought, wow, that's a great idea to talk about in general. What are these little things that we encounter every day that convey trust in a genuine way? And something as simple as sitting at a bed and breakfast and being able to just see into the kitchen really makes you feel like more trustworthy as a guest.
0: So I had read recently an article uh, in Adweek, we'll put the link in the show notes, about the Cannes Lions Festival. And it was entitled Three Big Cannes Lions Takeaway, takeaways marketers can learn from and it was interesting because it talked about uh, this whole idea of authenticity and honesty and everything else and we're like oh we were just talking about that I'll share this article out um, and it encouraged brands to avoid woke washing have you ever heard that term
1: that Math- is such Math-ing? a term of that's time a new right one for me <laughs>
0: woke washing woke um, you know, that purpose-driven advertising can bomb like a lead balloon if the company can't back it up if they try to say something that isn't true to who they are or hasn't they haven't shown empathy in their other practices. So like a classic recent example that we all remember was the tone deaf Pepsi ad with Kendall Jenner, where they tried to basically, you know evoke imag- imagery from Black Lives Matter in order to sell soda. And we were like, penalty flag, no. Um, You know, I think about, you contrast that with Nike's bold move when they put out the Dream Crazy ad featuring Colin Kaepernick, uh, which, you know, days after the ad, fans who probably shouldn't have been Nike fans and Nike wasn't, you know, was willing to let them go, were out in the street burning their tennis shoes. But the rest of us were like, you know what? good for them. They didn't test this ad. They didn't do focus groups. They just put this ad out there because it was something they believed in. And they said, you know, believe in something, even if it costs you everything. And within a few weeks, Nike's sales had jumped 31%. So they took an authentic risk. They put an ad out without testing it. And people respected that.
1: Yeah. And I'd love to hear some more stories about how we've seen this done well. And you'll just notice that these are B2C examples. um, And we're really passionate about B2B marketing, but the reason we're going that B2C route is because we honestly believe there really shouldn't be any difference in approach between B2C and B2B marketing because we, like embro- em- uh, we like to embrace a more of a B2H uh, business to human mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, we're all people and we kind of like a lot of the same things no matter how it's, how it's shown to us. Um, So one of the ways that I kind of think about seeing transparency out and about in my everyday life is what I call when you get to see into the guts of a business. Mm, Guts. Yeah, guts. Guts. Um, The probiotic level of a brand. (laughs) Do brands
2: take
0: probiotics?
2: I think certain brands definitely do, and I think you could probably imagine which ones do. You
1: you should definitely take probiotics if you're taking antibiotics, though. True. And (laughs)
2: you might want to take both depending on what brand you visit for lunch. Uh, (laughs) Just going to put that out there.
1: Okay, okay. So So the reason I use the word seeing the guts of the business is because I'm talking about whatever that business is about, I want, I as a customer, I want to see into it. So, for example, a really, really easy way is a restaurant. So, for example, Chipotle, one of their big things is that they serve you real food. And in addition to just seeing the food prepared right in front of you, all of their content that comes out, hold on, why are you guys laughing at me right now?
0: <laughs> because I'm thinking real, real food laced with salmonella.
1: But they've obviously bounced back and they they've have, done a they great have. job. Mm-hmm. On that note of Chipotle having real food, one thing I really appreciate is that I just got an email last week and it said something about like do you love our guacamole well guess what it's so real you could just make it at home in your own kitchen and here's how you do it so they just sent me an email it said you need a lime some avocados some salt jalapenos a little bit of red onion maybe mm-hmm. and just by sending that piece of content it's they're living out the fact that the guts of their company which is good real food they're showing it to me in several ways and it felt really natural and i saved the email and i was like guys this is awesome I love this Are you going
2: to print it out and frame it? Yeah, maybe. Put it on the wall?
1: Yeah, maybe. I would. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another example of that, which is pretty, um, I'll say on the food food route, is Cheesecake Factory. Because... I don't go to Cheesecake Factory that often, but one of the things that you notice when you walk into that castle of a restaurant is is that they
0: have the largest (laughs) menu in the history of menus. (laughs) Yes. I mean, 67 pages of choices ranging from Thanksgiving turkey sandwich to like beaten avocado salad.
1: 250
0: menu items they boast. That's transparency. We are transparent about the fact that we specialize in nothing.
1: I agree. The menu is overwhelming. I am not a frequenter of Cheesecake Factory because it's a little overwhelming. But I will say that I know that when people walk in, it's noticeable that you can see into their kitchen. But there are actually a lot of articles out there. I will link to one where it talks about restaurant psychology. And there is actually proven restaurant psychology that when customers can see into a kitchen, it increases... Uh, how much they enjoy and trust in the the restaurant and the experience that they're having.
2: I want to test that. We should go to lunch there um, together. I haven't been there in 20 years. Okay.
1: So just to make sure we're not just thinking about food, because I did say guts. When I'm talking about these examples, I happen to say restaurants. But when I'm saying into the guts of the company, I just want to get people's wheels turning in the idea of like, what is it that you are about and how can people feel like genuinely feel That they can see into that part of the process more Mm. so i just think that that's super important another thing that we've seen before is an event or a way of doing things or something in the community that a company does and it's directly connected to their mission so steve i'll kind of let you unpack that a bit but um that's another way we can like every day see how companies interact with us and display transparency
0: i thought about it recently um and again, I feel bad because most of my examples are negative. Uh, there are things that we like about all these people and all these companies. They all do something great, but we're just trying to be, you know, a little critical so that we know how to be better together. And there's, I thought, I thought of a couple of examples. One company that doesn't have it all together, and they want to be an example of a company that doesn't have it all together and be transparent about that, and another company that – I found a little disingenuous recently. I was watching a golf tournament, Travelers Insurance Tournament. It's kind of a big one on the PGA Tour. And they always have the proverbial moment where the CEO comes and sits with Jim Nance and you know talks about how important this event is to the community. And we're just so proud to have been a part of this. It's something, you know, do you realize in the last like 10 years we have raised 16.7 million dollars since 2007. Incredible. Incredible. And I'm thinking come on like travelers you're a fortune 500 company and your annual revenue is close to 29 billion dollars. So am I supposed to feel good about you raising 16 and a half million over a 10-year period? Mm-hmm. Like is that real and plus, you you know, you've actually gotten other people to give that money. Like this year they wanted to get over the $2 million mark, and they were so happy that pro golfer Bubba Watson stroked a check for $200,000 to get them over that mark. So they're not even giving away their own money.
2: Mm. Um. But they're
0: wanting me to feel good about them making $29 billion a year so that they can do so much for charity in the community. You know, the, this money has really gone to all these different great important works. And that's great. Good for those people. But it just struck me as like you're, you're leveraging, you know, an, an appearance of charity and generosity to convince me to buy insurance. Right. Um,
1: and what is the connection? Like, does that connection make sense as far as traveler's reason for being? Is that a good parallel to really draw us in emotionally? You know, it doesn't it's just like traveler's insurance, golf tournament, yeah there are people that play golf that have insurance but what is the real story behind What's travelers and what would be a more um you know a more natural way for them to continue their passion yeah, like
0: because we more than anyone understand that there are times in life where you need extra help that's why we exist that's why we mm-hmm. insure people and that's why we
2: give to little eyes that read is <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering. I don't think that's a real challenge. Where just, does the money go? You know? Well,
0: it probably goes to reputable right. organizations, and I'm sure all yeah. that's monitored and all that. But, yeah. but then you know, I thought about. So Patagonia has this reputation of being you know sustainable. And they make shirts out of recycled plastic bottles, Mm-mm-mm. and um, they're trying. You know, they publish a list of their factories where they work, so that you can go and actually dig in and see if they're doing their job. And here's the crazy thing about Patagonia: I saw them as this super green-friendly, you know, eco-conscious fair company, green. and they are. But what it's led them to is the conclusion that they are not where they need to be as a company, and they're saying that. They're saying we're not a model of sustainability. We're a model of a corporation that realizes we must change the way we do business. There are many people who work in our factories who don't make a living wage. There are materials we're using that we haven't yet discovered better alternatives for. There's all this stuff that we're trying to do to be a better more planet friendly company but we're not there yet
2: just to jump in and interrupt um, you know in the last couple months I've heard multiple reports about polyester and shirts made out of recycled soda bottles great idea reuse Uh, the problem is those fabrics break down in the wash and those tiny nanoparticles travel into the water supply they get into human bodies they get into the ocean so you know um, good fair trade environmentally friendly, trying to be transparent, but how long until they say, okay, we're not doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. We're going to use linen, we're going to use cotton, you know, trusted materials.
1: It does go to show that like we don't want to get hung up on companies that are doing it perfectly because I feel like even though Patagonia is not there yet, they still have their mission, which is really easy to understand Mm. because I believe their mission is uh, we're in business to to save our home planet. So we know what their mission is in most of their channels the way they talk the way you like if you encounter them at a store or the way they teach people to to repair their own clothing you can tell that they like they believe in that mission they're living it out but the fact that they are transparent about you know we're not there yet and we're not doing it right it kind of it kind of makes you like them even more because right. out of all the companies to choose from you're like yeah you're not perfect nobody is but i feel like i can trust you to keep working at it
2: nobody's perfect and these people are humans too
1: yeah you know? Yeah. Well, in
0: that mission of, uh, you know, we're in business to save our home planet, that that missional vision has led them to the conclusion that they mm-hmm. must do better. Yeah. If that wasn't their mission, then there would be no need to change what they're doing. Right. Right. So yeah. I respect that. That's authentic. It's yeah. true. True to who they are.
1: I want to get into your get your guys' ideas about where do you even start with this if you want to have, if you want to genuinely embrace transparency and authenticity. So I guess a question I have for you guys is like for a business to embrace transparency in the marketplace among all of us as consumers. Do you think it has to foster transparency within the culture of the company first? Like can it can transparency happen as an overflow of the company if there's if if the guts, I'm going to say it again, if the guts of that company is not itself transparent?
2: That's guacamole. That's the topic today. Guts and guacamole. I'm going to
0: answer that question. No. Okay. No, they can't shift until they deal with an internal culture. And if they're that, incul- if, if the internal culture is bad, it's going to work itself out in the way the company behaves. Um, and I think of a couple of recent examples mm-hmm. of companies that were kind of have been forced into
2: transparency. Ah, Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Yes. Um. You know. Timely. Timely. They They seized on the moon landing, and their campaign right now is 50 years ago. We were obsessed with the moon. Today, we're obsessed with the earth. And I was really, so my first exposure to this, of course, was Instagram because I'm an Instagram addict and I was scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Adorable little yellow background, this cute little microbus. Turns out it's electric and man, I want one. Um, but I was kind of offended by it because I was like, hmm, interesting. How long ago were you caught red-handed for- Lying about your emissions? Exactly. Um, but I will say, having watched more of the marketing, it's convincing. It's very smart marketing. They dramatize it. There's an engineer working late at night. He goes to the basement of the building, finds you know a blueprint of the original bus from the 60s, and uh, that inspires him to rethink everything. So you know it's beautiful marketing. It's like
0: out of the darkness, yeah, into yeah.
2: the light.
0: Which yeah. you know, I it, it rubbed you a little disingenuous. Yeah. The first time you saw it, I kind of was like, they're actually leading with a brand new product. Like, they're pivoting and saying, no, not only are we not making the emissions of our gas
2: vehicles better, right. we're going to go electric. And I'm like, yes, that's
0: amazing.
2: Yeah, and when you see the stats at the end of one of the pieces, it's something like they're trying to release 70 new electric vehicles, which blows away anyone else Whoa. in the market. Like By- 70 models? Yeah, within the next four years. I feel seventy like vehicles. That's insane. Yeah, yeah you know, I lot. feel like I need to check that because <laughs> that seems really ambitious.
1: Maybe it's seventy vehicles across the world. You know, different right. versions for yeah. different In markets. Homes,
2: only seventy. You know, We're yeah. just going
0: to make seventy of them. The first <laughs> seventy people <laughs> get one, and then that's yep. it.
1: Okay, so we
2: did our thing. Now
0: we can go back to belching out clouds of black smoke. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I'm still really interested, though, to hear you guys' thoughts about like. If you really want to take on transparency and you and we agree that it probably has to come from within, mm. that takes some major culture shifts as far as, you know, an operating a business goes. That is a huge shift in itself. And I think we kind of talked about that um, in the last episode where we referenced um, Tony Shea from okay. Zappos because um, – he was such a culture guru and one of the guys that he worked alongside had a whole, it was just so passionate about cultivating culture. And so I'm really fascinated. Like, we love this idea, but I don't want to talk about transparency lightly and be like, oh, go do this. It's great. Without fully understanding what it takes yeah. to really get there. And um, you guys have a little bit of a head start on me as far as experience in the working world. So, I mean, have you guys... What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say you guys are a little bit older than me. Whoa.
2: (laughs) Has anyone seen my walker? (laughs) Um,
1: I I just want to know, like, how realistic, how hard is it for someone to transition into a very transparent and authentic model if it comes from within? Right.
2: Well, I think it goes back to being human. Mm -hmm. Um, We have all met humans who are not authentic. Yeah. And, you know, so we don't trust them. And there are examples, and it's a term I like, fake authenticity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fender is guilty of this. Fender guitars. Um, Sorry to bring another example up, but I love it it. because it's funny. (laughs) Um, Guitarists, well, the guitar industry, we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. They've had a hard time. Music is shifting. It's a lot of digital music. Um, Fender offers you the ability to get a brand new guitar that looks like it's been played by Stevie Ray Vaughan for 30 years. Mm. It's been um, distressed. Like, remember the 80s when you could buy jeans or 80s, 90s? I don't Stone know. Stonewashed Stone sanded. You know, the holes are all... You can still buy jeans with holes yeah. in the knees already. I actually you know? had a
0: couple of classmates in college that took that idea to jeans, and they went all in, and they, they were starting to sell shotgun-washed <laughs> jeans. Where they literally took jeans out, pinned them up against a barn, and then blasted them with shotguns. And it actually became hugely popular, um, (laughs) called Jensen Smith. They're probably still on the internet somewhere. They got popular enough to be bought out by a clothier who promptly fired the uh, founder (laughs) because they're like, good job, college kids. We'll take this from here. But they managed to sell a few items to celebrities, and et cetera, that's amazing. It yeah. went yeah. too
1: far though when Nordstrom Shotgun had a pair of jeans, right. men's jeans with the mud on them. Oh, it was like yeah. kinked oh, on, and people what? were outraged and oh, they were yeah. like, This oh, is gosh. too far. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yes. I think they were like 300 bucks. Because no something.
2: matter how how many times you wash a pair of jeans, if you've spent couple hours in the garden on your hands and knees that mud stays yeah. the earth is authentic You're totally right All right, right sorry I feel like we took that off track no, but it's okay. um authenticity I think is a core
1: It has to principle. be a core value It has to be there
2: and you have to know why you exist right That's that's something that you're really big about
1: Yeah I think a lot of it comes from your why why are you in business um
0: We were at a brand uh, workshop with a client in Chicago last week, and I thought you brought this up really mm-hmm. well because they were challenging uh, a pretty decent shift we're proposing to one of their p- products in terms of how it is spoken of. Yeah, and you know they were kind of—you uh, might remember the question. You, you got this challenge question from one of their people, and they, it was a why question, like mm-hmm. why? Why is this so important that we? You know, explain why are we spending so much time talking about our why? We know what we make,
2: mm-hmm.
0: we know what it costs, and you made the point that it's because you're about to enter the market with a a major new narrative. And if we don't know the why, your customer, your buyer, will sniff it out and they will be suspicious. Yeah. Instead of becoming preferred and loved, you will be suspect because they want to know what's led to this change. Is it because you sucked before and now you don't? You know, did you make improvements? Was there an internal change? Why are we doing all this changing? There must be something behind it. Is it a fire sale? Are you in trouble? You know, all these different questions come up from the consumer if you don't answer, if you don't know the why before you go to market.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I was very excited um, when you handed me this, uh, this week's edition of Ad Age, mm. and you said, hey, read this article, it's awesome, so I'll, I'll post what the article is. But there's a quote from an article about rebranding and, and how brands are perceived in the world that we live today, and there's this awesome quote, um, they say, when you're living in this really malleable back-and-forth relationship with consumers, you have to be so true to who you are, what you believe in, why you exist in the world, and that has to manifest itself deeply and authentically everywhere. And I was like, that quote is just everything. I love it because they're taught in that article, they're talking about how so many brands and companies were really built to live in an analog world where we have one way communication. Brands, companies dole out information, they hand it to the customer. I take all that, I make a decision but we no longer live in that world anymore. There's a dynamic back and forth between customer and brand or customer and company, and there's a conversation that's accessible 24 seven. Mm-hmm. So because of that, we are now having these expectations of brands and companies where we're thinking, oh, these companies are not just information dispensaries. These are, these are like almost like people. And I wanna, I wanna know this person. I wanna be identified with this one but their brands or companies. So we expect authenticity. We expect these true personality traits when it comes to the companies we interact with now. And I think that's been a huge shift in why there's this massive demand for transparency, authenticity, treating people well and being more than just somebody that sells whatever, hmm. you know?
0: I think it's it's a it's being true to who you are and so a company that's known for clever advertising we probably will give them a hall pass on whether it's you know true or genuine like if we're used to being you know if they if they're putting clever ads in front of us and we kind of that fits their personality then okay we're good like you know when we watch uh, you know when you watch a co- commercial for like a Cartier diamond ring mm-hmm. um you know, we're expecting, they're being honest, it's a woman wearing a really expensive gown wrapped in a mink, you know, she's not wearing burlap, hammering nails at a Habitat house. (laughs) So I think, you know, it's like, okay, you're a luxury brand. That fits. That makes sense to us. Yes, it's marketing. We get it. We're marketers. We're not telling you to stop telling clever stories. But you have to understand, you know, the core of why you're in business. What is it that matters to you? Yeah. Who actually wears burlap?
2: (laughs) I mean I think probably
0: nobody. Okay, good. I was (laughs) I
2: was afraid I had missed out on something, a new trend, you know? No burlap.
0: I don't think anybody wears burlap.
2: Yeah. The burlap leisure suit from fifteen four.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Hey Steve, um you were talking to me about um you had this phrase I thought was super interesting about how Um, something about how authenticity happens in every conversation Mm. and on a culture level I thought it was so interesting that it comes down to each person Mm -hmm. working in the company and I think it's really rare that people think about their role in the company as individuals they kind of wait for culture to trickle down but I like that it was like it's every conversation Mm -hmm. makes up how it feels
0: yeah, we, we, um, we've talked around here about a book called Fierce Conversations. It was written by a woman named Susan Scott. And uh, she says that uh, our work, our relationships, and our lives succeed or fail one conversation at a time. Hmm. And I would say one, you know, they, I think I've heard that quote expanded. They succeed or fail gradually, then suddenly, hmm. one conversation at a time so you know like a marriage doesn't fall apart because you just have a terrible fight one night that could be the sudden moment at which things break apart Mm -hmm. but there's probably been a whole lot of things that have led up to that moment and i think in business and life in relationships every conversation we have an opportunity to um i think it was was it peter leviton we hired to do our marketing i think he was the one who talked in, in one of the lists about how to handle your brand he says you know tell the truth or at least don't lie <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's you know when you think about each conversation we have as a place to begin mm-hmm. an authentic way of living yeah um, you know sometimes it may not be the moment to just be you know brutally truthful but we can at least not lie in how we're representing ourselves and I think that's important you know, the irony, the business irony is brands are going to be more successful if they're more transparent and more authentic. Yeah, um, It does sell, which is why this purpose-driven marketing has caught on as a commodity that, you know, people are pushing forward.
1: Yeah. And I love that idea of every conversation, whether it's between you and a coworker or a conversation between your brand and your customers—you are building trust or losing trust with every interaction, mm-hmm. and that's the perfect way to, I think, to wrap up Wrapping conversation. Up. Awesome. Wrapping up. Cool, guys. This has been great. I, I'm super. I just love talking about this kind of thing. Matt, it's awesome having you here again. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I'm super excited. I feel like we've got some material for future episodes, so. In okay. full
2: in full transparency, I really enjoyed this. Okay. You
1: know,
2: I'm glad awesome. that we were able to reconcile our serious disagreement around Volkswagen because you came around to my point of view. <laughs> uh, some people call it compromise. Other people call it something else. It's
1: not very nice. But anyway. All right. Well, yeah. on that note, you guys. I've, I've warmed
2: up to it. And, man, I really want that that buzz.
1: It's so cute. I really want that too. Adorable little wagon. I know.
2: it's called the Buzz? Yeah. It's the remake of the old... Oh man, I'm bus. all about that. All right, let's they sign off and we'll go look at this car. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right, guys. We'll talk to you again soon. But for now, Josh, you can cue the exit music. Peace. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> <Nice work>,
2: Mark. <laughs> Yo, this is Frank. You should rate this podcast because, damn it, it's the best one in the nation. And look if you want something a little lighter you should go to 154 studio on the instagram check out our stories check out workspace wednesday we think about the deeper meaning of objects that occupy the spaces on people's desks the phenomenological impact of them and um you know we try and keep it fun and light and uh, just do it go go now
1: Design of Experience is produced by 15.4, a creative agency located in Charm City, Baltimore, Maryland. Produced by Emily Wolf, engineered by Josh Frisch, with story and creative development by Matt DeVille and Steve Smallman.